0: Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by Citizens Bank, Drexel University, and the General Building Contractors Association. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here's Matt Cabry. Hey everybody, welcome into the next exciting edition of Growing Greater Philadelphia. Settle in, get comfortable, because you're really going to want to hear this inspiring story about Invincible City Farms, and we're really thrilled to welcome Frederick Byarm to our program. Frederick, it's great to have you.
1: Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here, and and this is just a wonderful opportunity. So Invincible City Farms, how do you describe what you and your team do? I think the best description for Invincible City Farms is a program or a company that's designed or with a mindset of how do you eliminate a food desert, not just make it more comfortable to live in a food desert. Interesting.
0: And Frederick, share with us what your inspiration is. I know you have a really eclectic, if you will, (laughs) and interesting story, but you ultimately got to this place where you had this cool vision of addressing, you know, this food desert challenge. And tell us how you ultimately got there.
1: Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, like I remember being a kid growing up in Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. And eating these wonderful culinary design things called syrup sandwiches. I don't know if you ever had one, but it's basically white. Bread and imitation pancakes, sir. As you can tell, you know it's like one of those Food Network, you know, high level, top rate meals. <laughs> but <laughs> right. it's what's called poverty in America. Right. And how do you really do something about that? You know, I spent time as a chef in some of the finer hotels, resorts. I've had my own restaurants. I've done Food Network. I've done all those things. Yeah. And I cooked and prepared meals for the affluent. And so it's like, well, where's the people who are providing meals for those who are not affluent? Like, mm-hmm. where's the culinary expertise for those people who have not, right. who really need it? Right. And so I said, well, okay, if I can feed the affluent, why can't I feed people who grew up like me? Right. Right. And so there's like the motivation. And then I was able to spend some time with hospitals doing culinary nutritional programs for Mm -hmm. vulnerable populations. I saw that there was maybe an opportunity to start growing food to move into local food banks. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Why don't we kind of pair this together and get the price point down for access to organic, healthy food? Okay. And then if the price points down, then people in distressed communities can afford them and they can start eating better. Right. And there's kind of where it came together. Okay. That makes sense. And
0: I appreciate that. I also want to learn a little bit more about the path that you just kind of highlighted. So Mm -hmm. born and raised in Camden, spent a lot of time in Summers Point and Mays Landing in beautiful southern New Jersey. Mm -hmm. But then your path in life took you out west. Was that part of your culinary training that found you at restaurants or hotels in Colorado? Or how did you weave your way through that neighborhood, if you will?
1: So after attending culinary school here in Philadelphia at what at the time was the restaurant school. Now it's like the Walnut Hill College. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. At the time it was the restaurant school. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to get my internship at the Four Seasons Hotel in Logan Square. Nice. And so that introduced me to culinary arts at a whole different level it gave me the opportunity to really from there after getting out of school travel quite you know extensively in and out of europe down to the gulf coast over to california and i really leveraged being able to cook as being able to see the world and see the country actually what got me to the west coast was unfortunately the passing of my mother who had moved out west so i was able to spend some time with her before she passed and Mm -hmm. i i happened to stay out there before going out west, I had four restaurants, two of them at the Jersey Shore, two of them up in Vermont. Mm-hmm. They were farm to table places okay. um, or seashore to table. We did some exciting things. We were listed in the Philadelphia Inquirer in 2000 as top five Jersey Shore restaurant. And nice. We, you know, some wonderful things, some exciting things, some challenging things, but moving from the restaurant industry and kind of wanting to be the next hot chef in the world and, yeah. and chasing that dream, ended up working with hospitals, just wanting to do something that was a give back yeah, and not just kind of an ego feed. Yeah, sure. And that's what led to working with vulnerable populations and feeding people who were not just, you know, tremendously fortunate.
0: So I love that because, you know, you have seen in the restaurant business in general, is a tough business. There's lots of highs. There's lots of lows. There's lots of places where you can kind of just, you know, stay pretty even. And it sounds clearly you've had some great successes. I suspect you've had some hurdles and challenges that you had to overcome as well. A couple years ago, you find yourself back in the greater Philadelphia region. Family brings you back home, if you will. Right. And now you call our greater Philadelphia neighborhood home. And you have this inspiration to start Invincible City Farms. Mm -hmm. I have to ask, and, and you know this, and this is probably one of those challenging situations that you encounter often urban farming if you will is also a challenging space share with us your view on you know how and why some of these endeavors are really successful and some of them just kind of never get get the traction that are necessary to to deliver success.
1: Right. What I've learned through quite a bit of study and and just really seeing what's happening, and not just in the immediate facility, but really across the country in, in the urban farming, urban agriculture, I think what you have is people who are really great growers and really excited about the produce and the product. Right. And then you have some people who are really excited about the investment portfolio and Mm -hmm. what they can do, and maybe they can turn this enterprise into something that really generates some money on the bottom line. And then you have people who are more focused on the distribution, and you just have those different segments. Unfortunately, you don't have this really concise, direct communication or or networking or working together partnership between each of those, or you don't have someone that's doing all of those. Mm -hmm. And so there's not really a vertical integration. You have, you know, like I said, people who are really excited about this tremendous basil they can bring to the marketplace. Right. But do you have a distribution network to support that? Consistently, right. Consistently that's going to deliver an impact that's, On the outside of your bottom line. Like I can sell all the basil or all the tomatoes that I want and it may be really good for me. Right. But am I doing something for the marketplace that's unique? Yeah. That the marketplace is beating my door down to get more. Are you filling a
0: need that doesn't yet exist? Correct. Basically, right? Correct.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what happens. Urban agriculture has been very capital intensive. Like the amount of capital it's blowing through is something that I think is similar, definitely not on the scale, but similar to the kind of the dot-com boom. Sure. And so, yeah, you've got some bad actors. You've got some people who are just trying to figure it out. You've got some people who are creative but not really business people and all that's happening in the space. But I think people should be encouraged that just like – Eventually, the dot com boom settled down, and we have this whole industry. That same thing's going to happen with urban agriculture. It does need to settle down. Right. We're, we're going to have to do something about some of the bad actors. But there's a model that's being generated that is going to pretty soon, and we think we have one yeah. that actually addresses those problems. And now you've got a model that's replicable and is actually doing something in the marketplace. But hopefully, we're also doing something for the betterment of people yeah. and the community.
0: So let me dive in a little bit deeper with you, without getting you know too into the weeds—no pun intended, right? <laughs> with uh, both kind of the business model, mm-hmm. but also the impact, because as you've referenced, you really want to help people and do it in a socially responsible way by providing access to quality food in what historically is known as a food desert, whether Mm -hmm. it's Camden or North Philadelphia or Chester or Coatesville or maybe other areas of the greater Philadelphia region that frankly just don't have access to quality fresh fruit and produce and other kinds of natural food items, you know, that don't have preservatives and other kinds of items that are required for packaging and, and long shelf life, if you will. So how do you ultimately get a product, if you will, from the ground to the kitchen table for someone who normally wouldn't
1: get access to it? Is there a model that is easy to explain? Um, No, Okay, <laughs> <laughs> which is it's funny. One of my first business mentors, when I opened my first restaurant, used to say to me, Frederick, if it was easy, everybody be doing it. Yeah, that. it's true. And the reason that it's not being done is because it's complex. It's, it's not easy. There's no silver bullet. There's a mindset in agriculture called monoculture. And it's, it's a farm that kind of likes to say tomatoes and that farmer is producing the best tomatoes. They can be fabulous tomatoes, but that's what he focuses on. That's his crop. That's Mm -hmm. where he develops his time in, but it's not natural. And if you look at some of the permaculture and things that are being popular now, it's more in the food forest model because you will exhaust the nutrients in any soil if you just are growing one crop, or just a very few crops. It's monoculture is not natural. And so in a business model, Invincible City Farms kind of has the same process where we we say there's no one silver bullet. You really need to incorporate things, various things together. Mm-hmm. So, like in our model, we have a nonprofit foundation, but we combined it with a for-profit mentality or a business model. Okay, where we're generating revenue. We're not just kind of attached to the next grant opportunity, writing grants, grant seeking because those models aren't sustainable. Right. So we have to have a product which we are selling in the market that generates revenue that keeps us sustainable, which then enables us to touch on a couple of different things because you can't change a food desert by just access. I can bring in a ton of corn, but if the people in the community can't afford the corn, I haven't done anything. So then how do you then get the corn down to a price point that the people in the community can then afford it? Well, that, again, is not a simple question because you not only have to have the price low, but they have to have an income. So if you're not also helping with uh, disposable incomes in a community, you're not addressing the whole problem.
0: Right. And can I sprinkle in two more? Mm -hmm. In addition to the income, what comes to mind for me as a layperson observing this is awareness and access. So how does somebody... In Camden, for example, access food that's coming out of a farm facility, if you will. Is it the local mm-hmm. supermarket? Is it a local food bank? Is it a community kind of gathering place, uh,
1: farmer's market type of environment? It's all of the above. It's, again, our mindset of it isn't monoculture. Okay. You know, there are some people you're only going to get healthy food into them is if you're selling to the hospitals. Right. because that's where they're going to have somebody cook and prepare it and give it to them on their plate, because they're not going to go home and do it. Right, There's some people that are only going to have access to it at the food bank. There's some people who won't go to a food bank, no matter how desperate they are, because they won't swallow their pride. Right. And so you've got to provide it at a farm stand or at a farmer's market. Right. So you have to have some of all of these things. If you really want to minister to the community, the community is varied. It's diverse. And so if you really want to reach them, you've got to use diverse methods to get to them.
0: That's really important, and I really appreciate that because you're absolutely right. Some people aren't comfortable doing one thing, but very comfortable doing another, and for a variety of of very good reasons. So if I'm not being too crass, Frederick,
1: how do you generate revenue? How you generate revenue is there are, you know, the Delaware Valley Regional uh, Planning Board did a study in 2015 that said there's a $250 million market for local, fresh Produce In the area surrounding Philadelphia, there's no shortage of demand for local organic fresh produce. It can be sold throughout the region. Pretty simply, there's the common marketplace, which is doing, you know, local produce, local goods, local meats. And distributing it regionally yeah there's contracts that we have with several of the local hospitals there's contacts that we've had to where we can sell our produce at the food couple organizations there's really many many avenues for which to get this produce out into the marketplace demand for the product is not the problem the problem is scale can you get your product up to scale to where you can actually address and meet these needs? And unfortunately, some of the things that we're trying, like community gardenings and those, and they're wonderful programs, but there's no way to scale them in a way to really address the need. So then a company is going to struggle. Because they just can't generate revenue because they don't have the scale to be in the marketplace. To have impact, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, folks, we're talking with Frederick Byarm. Frederick is the founder of Invincible City Farms, and he leads that team. If you want to learn more, it's Mm InvincibleCityFarms.com, and one of the focus areas for Frederick and his team is really about changing food deserts through cultivating nutrition, cultivating the economy, and doing that in a way that provides a dignity for the audience that is accessing food through Invincible City Farms. Is there a physical place that folks can go to or that we could come visit if we wanted to go to Invincible City Farms, if that makes sense?
1: There is a location okay. which we have a contract and we're looking to close on, and we, we expect to, to close on that and make the announcement, end of the summer, Mm -hmm. early fall of this year, and then there'll definitely be a place that people can come visit and and see the development and growth. We expect to be having plants to move to the marketplace in kind of the summer to mid-summer of 2019.
0: Okay. Excellent. That's great. I want to shift gears slightly and pull on your passion for greater Philadelphia. And Mm -hmm. Frederick, you're in a really unique position, I think, than most Because you were born and raised in greater Philadelphia, yet you've traveled to so many different places around the world, and now you're back home. Mm -hmm. So you have a perspective that has allowed you to compare the assets, the quality of life, the transportation infrastructure, the cost infrastructure, and so much more that we are really benefiting from here in greater Philadelphia to other parts of the world. What stands out for you when you're talking about the benefit of being in greater Philadelphia?
1: The first thing that comes to my mind is opportunity. I know that there's people who kind of have a level of distress of of programs, you know, tax incentive programs and things that are out there for businesses to come and and to move here, to build here, or to do things, but Mm -hmm. they're not things that I see consistently through, you know, in different places that I've been. It's really opportunity. There are resources and programs that are innumerable, that mm-hmm. I've run into since I've been here, that if you have a dream, you have a vision, and you have a plan, and, and I would add to that, and you've built a team, right? that you can tap into multiple resources that are here to assist you in building and developing your concept and bringing your product to market. Again, it's innumerable, the amount of them that I've run into the amount of organizations and individuals who have been supportive of us, I can't begin to list them. They're they're huge. I, w- yep. I want to give a particular shout out to FNC Philadelphia, which is a nonprofit organization. They operate out of the renovation of the Bach School Technical oh, School, yeah, sure, right here Trem- in South Philadelphia. Right, yeah, in South Philadelphia. Tremendously supportive and helpful of us, and it's FNC. Yes, yeah. Okay. FNC Philly. But I mean, that's just one of of many different organizations and tools that are available Mm -hmm. to entrepreneurs to get your business up and running from financing to technical skills and assets that you may not bring to the table, but you can then partner or work with them to develop or to acquire. It's really an exciting place to be. I've been just tremendously blown away by... The fact that there's the access to so much yep. here in regards to let's get a business and let's do something about the economy. Let's put people to work. Let's generate incomes for people to live here comfortably. But but I want to tell you, since I've moved back to the East Coast, the Eagles have won a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> the years have gone to the playoffs. So, yep. you know, it's kind of this give and take. I've been a good luck charm and yeah. they've been a good luck charm to me. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Folks, we're talking about urban farming. And how to bring a sustainable, successful urban farming model, not just to greater Philadelphia, but frankly, I suspect to other regions of the country and the world. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. And we're talking with Frederick Byarm, who is the founder of Invincible City Farms. And Frederick, you are an entrepreneur first. You are a business leader and owner first. And in this case, you happen to be investing your time and resources into urban farming through Invincible City Farms that you have founded. What advice do you have for a young entrepreneur, whether they're going to open a restaurant or work within another institution, but basically leading their own vision for success, Mm -hmm. especially a young person who's coming out of Camden or an area that they may think they don't have the skill set to be successful in life. What do you share with folks in those situations?
1: Two things that jump out to me. One is research. And it's one of the first things that someone told me when I came to the area and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. It's like, okay, how well do you know what's already happening in the area? And spend some time finding out what already is being done in the marketplace and in the area that you want to move into. And that's probably been the best advice I've had expanded not only my knowledge but expanded my network like i know now all of those different organizations not only what they're doing but i know the principals who are running those organizations and it has opened up several and key partnerships and some help that i like if i was just going my own you know i definitely would have made many many more mistakes yeah and i think the other thing that i would say to people is what problem are you solving and for who And you may have this wonderful skill, but at the end of the day, it doesn't solve a problem that I have. I'm not willing to pay you for it. I may applaud you for it. I may say that's beautiful. But if I don't have that problem, if I don't have that issue, there's no marketplace for it. And so, you know, that's what I've told people when I've been asked and I've spoken at a couple of places in Camden and I say to them, okay, what problem do you solve and for who, and then lastly, are they willing to pay for your solution?
0: Right, great advice. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Where do you see Invincible City Farms in a year from now, in three years from now, in five years from now?
1: In a year from now, we will be known in the region as the largest urban farm in the nation, producing organic fruits and vegetables. In three years from now, we will be hitting kind of mid-stride and having multiple different plants that we are bringing to the marketplace to sell. We will also have contracts with large institutions, the hospitals, the school systems, because we'll have enough production to supply them. Mm -hmm. And I would say five years from now, what will we be doing is we will have instituted our program, which is about support of our employees. So one of the things that I've learned is that It's one thing to hire like a a resident from Camden who has maybe come out of incarceration or have come through a rehab program or Mm -hmm. have been chronically unemployed, but it's another thing to keep them employed and because they've had certain stresses and struggles that tend to lead them to become unemployed again. So part of our model is to bring support to those workers. So we're addressing what those issues are on a daily basis. So we're not hiring to fire, to rehire. And so in five years, our plan is that 80% of our employees are local inner city workers and that those people have been able to stay on board and stay employed for 70% of their time with the company. And so that's where we see ourselves in one, three, and five years. That's great. That's great insight. How big is the shop now? We have... Tentative contracts on 30 acres and 330,000 square feet of warehouse space.
0: Excellent. What do you want people to remember most or know most who are listening to this conversation about Invincible City Farms?
1: What I would like for the community to be aware is that in spite of some of the hiccups in the industry, there is a model that combines the for-profit and the non-profit mentality and tools to bring security and kind of fend off some of the abuses that have happened. And not to be caught up in the negative hype of some of the bad actors, but understand that fundamentally, agriculture and produce needs to come to the city because that's where the populations are coming. Mm. There's a real opportunity to generate revenue by bringing agriculture and produce to the city. And let's not get caught up in who did some shenanigans and say, oh, you know, that's just bogus. No, being able to do this is technically sound and it's sustainable. All you have to do is really find a model who has both integrity in their operations and respect and dignity for the people who they serve. And that's where you want to place your time and your attention and your investment dollars. Frederick Byarm, Invincible City Farms. I love your passion. I
0: love your vision for what you're building. And you're reimagining the whole approach to urban farming. And it sounds like you're on the right track. And you have the infrastructure. You have the plan. And you are building the traction that you need to really be disruptive in this space in a very successful way. And we're thrilled that you're doing it right here in Greater Philadelphia, building it out in Camden, New Jersey, the place where you were born and raised. And we're thrilled that you're here joining us on Growing Greater Philadelphia to share your story. Thank you very much.
1: And thank you very much. This has been exciting. It's been a pleasure. It's been great to talk to you. And uh, thank you very much. I can't thank you enough.
0: This segment of Growing Greater Philadelphia is brought to us by Independence Blue Cross. They're a proud sponsor of Select Greater Philadelphia. Independence Blue Cross is the largest health insurer of the Philadelphia region, serving more than 2.5 million people locally and 8.5 million people in 23 states and Washington, D.C., You can learn more about Independence Blue Cross at IBX.com. Check out all of our podcasts and tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m. on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks so much for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia.